Hi there. Welcome to the Mentoring Club podcast. In this podcast series, you are listening to pairs of mentors who were put together randomly. They all joined the Mentoring Club to share their experiences and insights in one-on-one -on -one sessions. But now, with this podcast, we are widening our spectrum to allow more people to learn and grow. The topics and discussions you will be listening to are as diverse as these pairs. In case you want to know more or meet one of our mentors, visit mentoring-club.com. And now, lean back and enjoy the talk. Right. Hello, everyone. It's Archit and Constancy here. Uh, we've, we're both mentors on the Mentoring Club, and we've been put together by the Mentoring Club to host a little podcast for you. Now, I wanted to start off by just introducing ourselves, and I'm going to let Archit go, uh, go first here. Archit, tell us about yourself. All right. So, hello, everyone. I am uh, a senior associate at Delivery. Uh, which is one of the largest logistics solution providers in India, backed by SoftBank. Um, here, I lead several programs and initiatives in strategy, growth, and operations functions, primarily within the context of our international business in China, Southeast Asia, and the Middle East. It's a highly dynamic role with tons of learning opportunities so far. And as Constantine mentioned, we, we connected on the Mentoring Club, an incredible platform where, you know, a lot of, let's say, young people, young professionals, they can they can reach out for seeking some mentorship opportunities. And that's how we got connected and took the opportunity to, you know, record this podcast. On to you, Konstantin. Thank you. Well, my name is Konstantin Slavovsky. I am a Berlin-based CEO of a headhunting and executive search agency called Kesa. Um I've been a mentor on the Mentoring Club since the very early days of it. And uh, fortunately, it's put me in touch with some incredible people. Archit, you mentioned some young people. And yes, there have been quite a, quite a few young people that have come um, in touch. There are, however, also people that have uh, more experience in, in terms of their career, in terms of... Uh, their life that have reached out and and as for mentoring sessions i'm sure you've uh, had very similar experiences arshit exactly. uh, so hopefully hopefully this uh, this podcast is going to give uh, a, a good overview of uh, our experiences share those experiences with uh, everyone out there who uh, takes the time to to listen to us and uh, i thought we'd hit it off with a first question arshit You know, thinking thinking back five years ago, did you envision your career as it is today? Now, knowing your profile, I know you've lived across well quite a few countries in that time. So, um, was this what you were thinking? Mm, great question. Um, in a way, yes. I mean, I think if we if you were to draw, you know, or look into, let's say, five keywords, right, that I identify with, you know, identify my career with. It would be something like strategy, growth, operations, international, and fast-paced. And, um, and here I would like to highlight or underline the importance of really coming up with what you, what you really want out of, out of your career from the early on. 
So although I couldn't really see the overall path with 100% clarity, but I knew that at least these keywords would remain prominent for me over time. For instance, looking back, my first experience was uh, launching my own startup in Ukraine. Um, it, it was very interesting, super interesting experience. I had just finished schooling and here I was in an unknown, uncharted territory, so as to speak, where I didn't yet speak the language or know many people. Um, it was tiny on a scale, but that experience drew me to look into entrepreneurship in a full-fledged scale, you know, including bootstrapping a business, devising product strategy and growth roadmap, speaking with customers, hiring and managing a team, marketing, etc. And I would say in a way that has continued till today, right? For instance, uh, in my current role as well, I work in a highly ambiguous environment trying to problem solve the challenges that we come across. And, uh, and uh, in a way that's, that's almost like an entrepreneur in residence type of role. So looking back and if we really connect the dots, right? It does look, look like these keywords or having a fundamental idea of what I want out of my career has definitely helped me today. And uh, so, yeah. And I think, I think I would actually take the opportunity to throw the same question back to you, Constantine. Like, uh, perhaps you can share your own view on how did you envision your career as of today? Like, what basically led you to the journey where you are as of now? Well, I mean, I, I definitely envision myself still very much involved in, in headhunting and in executive search, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, I've been in this business for uh, 16, 17 years now. So, so quite a long time. And I am, I am emotionally tied to it as well. Having said that, I'm also rather by definition impatient. So five years ago, my plan was probably what people would foresee, you know, for, for 10 years. And I did have a view of growing the organization and expanding this, the services of the organization a little bit more aggressively. However, um, what I, you know, what I had in mind, very much in mind, was to also become more engaged in working with leadership teams on team growth and retention strategies, as well as developing engineering leadership teams through better hiring, uh, in-house development of engineering leaders uh, in terms of how they hire, how they represent brand, how they represent uh, organizational culture in hiring processes, as well as within their within their teams, within their organizations. And this has very much been something that I've been a lot more engaged in over the last 18 months. I, I was hoping to be more engaged in this earlier. Um, however, you know, I also wanted to make sure that I've got the right team in place within our core business so as to allow me to take this step. And, and that has actually been a, a tremendous journey of, of self-discovery and, and self-learning and, and growing as a, as a business leader, as a manager, as a business owner. So it, it has been a very rewarding journey. Frustrating. I'm, I'm sure you can, you can understand that having run your own businesses. There are always frustrations. There's always challenges. It's what you do about those challenges. It's how you face those frustrations that uh, kind of help you progress and help you learn and help you evolve. So this, um, in short, it's definitely on the trajectory that I had envisioned. But, um, you know, speaking of, of professional, I'm also curious, what are some of the 
bad advice or, or maybe misconceptions that outsiders may have about the field that you're working in? Because, you know, in my field, there's a lot of them. So what, what have you seen? What have you experienced? Oh, that's a, that's a real good one. Because uh, you see, I, I work within the, within the logistics sector. And uh, there's this, this myth or misunderstanding that logistics is not as lucrative, right? So as to say, compared to, say, tech industry or maybe banking or finance, right? I mean, speaking from, from say, a distance, uh, trucks might not look as cool as building a super clean app, though I really like trucks, to be honest, uh, because that's, that's really the kind of, kind of sentiment that I've come across, you know, uh, looking at some career fairs and, you know, looking at the new grads or people who are still studying. But if you, if you think about it, and especially in terms of the impact, logistics really stands among the front runners as a highly appealing and impactful segment with tons of challenges, real life challenges to solve. And take, take, take COVID-19, for instance, where we work to ensure that hundreds and thousands of masks and other medical goods, medical supplies, right, are supplied on time to several countries and organizations that need them. On time, without delay, basically, and, you know, without any issues as such. And that's an actual measurable impact we're talking about here with that, you know, actual impact on tons of people. So, so I think, you know, when, when, when people are looking at a particular industry, right, it's, it's common or it may, it may appear as a first note that, you know, this industry might not come off as, as lucrative or, Hey, here's, here are some of the bad things that I might have, you know, heard about this particular industry. But one layer down, Right. I think it's incredible to to see or important to see what this industry is about. It exists for a reason that, you know, there are tons of ways it plays, you know, it creates the value. So for, for me, for me, the logistics industry has has an incredible impact and and is insanely complex. But then again, I have also had uh, involvement and have friends within the logistics industry. So maybe I've been a little bit more exposed to the complexities and the challenges of it. Um, mm. And it is, it, it's insanely interesting, at least to me okay. um, in that respect. <laughs> I mean, so let me spin the question around, right? Because I mean, in my current role as well, I had, you know, I had the opportunity to hire people, you know, work on the recruitment side. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm very sure that, you know, you, you must have tons of basically things to share about, you know, the, you know, the headhunting or the recruitment industry as such. So can you just share what are some common myths in, in the profession of the field that you would like to debunk, so to speak? <laughs> well, I mean, uh, probably the worst I've heard is that, you know, recruitment is the armpit of business. Um, but, you know, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there, um, there, are, there are a lot of views about the recruitment industry and some of them are earned okay i'm not saying they're correct but they're earned um you know the the common ones are you know recruitment agencies are just a source of cvs or agencies are extremely expensive to use and uh you know recruitment agencies are all about the network and uh, what am i paying i'm just paying for you know someone to troll through linkedin um 
recruitment agencies don't really understand the job or the company. They just keyword match and so on and so forth. So there is quite a lot about it. However, you see, what I find fascinating about the recruitment industry is that it doesn't matter what business you have. If you don't have the right people in that business, you don't have a business. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, you can you can approach any business and you can say, you know, sales is important or marketing is important or finance is important or operations or logistics or doesn't matter what in the business. If you don't have the people to operate that function within the business, you have no business. So the most important part of a business is the people and how you hire people thus becomes central to your success as an organization, as a business, as a company. Yeah? Without the people, it doesn't work. And, and this is where a lot of uh, frustration comes in with regards to recruitment. You see, the, the history of, re- of recruitment is that a lot of recruitment agencies grew out of job centers. So a very transactional approach of, you know, we need someone to build something in a factory. So we're just going to match them with a list of people that are looking, right? So that's unfortunately the history of of recruitment. Uh, There is, however, the other side of recruitment, and that is more the executive search end of recruitment, which actually grew out of management consultancy. Actually, the first executive search company out there that we can kind of trace the origins of the industry to is actually McKinsey um, in the late 40s, early 50s. And then, you you know, that's that's kind of where it, where it grew out. And that always focused very much on the C-level um, of the organization, of, of large organizations. So, If we look at recruitment from the perspective of just a job center, then sure, it just becomes a source of CVs and it just becomes a a very interesting uh, way of scanning LinkedIn, right? But ultimately, if if you're engaging a recruitment agency and you are engaging someone to represent your organization. You should be looking at it more from the perspective of how you'd be engaging a uh, a financial advisor or a a marketing agency. You want someone that is going to bring something into that conversation. You're not looking for someone that's just going to keyword match or go on LinkedIn. You want someone that is going to understand your organization bring in insights about the market that you are not familiar with, uh, ask you questions that may be uncomfortable to ask internally or that you've not thought of. You want someone that is going to be able to effectively represent you uh, to potential employees, someone that is not going to, you know, you don't use a recruitment agency to just go through candidates that apply to a job Right? What you get from a recruitment agency, a real recruitment agency, is engaging the market on your behalf. So a real recruitment agency, a real search agency, is going to engage the passive candidate market on your behalf. They're ultimately going to be your marketing agency for a particular position to the candidates that are 
the ones that are relevant in the job market uh, for you. And this understanding of what is the difference between, you know, a job agency and true recruitment consultancy is something that the market doesn't necessarily understand. Um, and it's something that uh, I see every day, you know, it's, it's frustrating to see how companies are not uh, effectively looking at how to engage with talent, how to represent themselves to the market. So, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. Now, I'm also, um, you know, curious, um, you know, what you read often has, has a really good impact. And I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a huge reader. Yeah. I've usually got three, four books on the go and a number that I'm, I'm listening to while I'm driving. One of the common myths about your, your, uh, field or your profession, at least in the recruitment profession is that people don't read. There's a lot of people that, that come from, uh, a background that they don't engage with a lot of, a lot of information that is out there. Is there anything at the moment that you see as very impactful? Any say top three books that that you would recommend to uh, to people to kind of read and, and engage with? Mm-hmm. So uh, right off the bat, I think I think um, you know you hit the nail on the head with re- regards to basically pointing out that uh, you know people that there are many people who don't, you know, often read as much as they ought to, so as to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, and, and reading does come into many forms. That, that's, for instance, basically it's, it's consuming, right? Consuming the knowledge that has been compiled and aggregated by somebody who has researched who on a certain topic or worked across a certain topic, right? And whether you're consuming it in the form of a book or in the form of long-winded articles, or in the form of a podcast. At the end of the day, I think it's a quest for, you know, it's 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 a quest for basically improving yourself personally. It's a quest for personal development. So I do regard that reading often is a yardstick for you know continuous personal development. So having said that, uh, truth be told, I'm a big fan of nonfiction business type of books. Uh, I do try to book. Uh, I do try to read at least, uh, you know, a book. Let's say uh, every fortnight or you know two three weeks at least, uh, depending on how my schedule permits. Um, top three books. I would say there are three books that come off the top. Of, you know, in the, in the top of my mind, basically. To be honest, this list keeps changing, but uh, the you know there are three books. So a more beautiful question. Zero to one and blitz scaling. These are the top ones that come to you know come to the top of my mind, and uh, and I'm a big fan of a more beautiful question. And uh, I think I think here is why because I really am you know, very passionate about this particular. Very you know, uh, was very thrilled when I when I came across this particular book because basically what it highlights is that you know as an as an adult right. Most of the learning comes from unlearning some of the stuff that you that you actually learn at school, right? 
So, uh, you know, it's, it's a, we might have come across, you know, many people might have come across, you know, there's this questions which we basically, you should look into the why first, you should look into the what if first, and then you look at the how first, right? So, for instance, let's, let's, let's take an example of some common products or common services that are, that are around us, for instance, Airbnb. Why should you be stuck without a bed if I've got an extra air mattress, right? What if you could rent or what if you could host a bed in any city? Because prior to that, right, it was very much controlled in the form of hotels and hostels, etc., with a particular where you need to either own an asset or lease a reset asset, etc. So, uh, you know, game changers basically come from questioning the way things have always been done. And they don't typically emerge as some full form answers because there is a little precedent for them, right? So I am a, I'm a huge fan of this particular book because it, it talks about, you know, basically, um, basically, you know, it, it, it basically highlights the importance of questioning, right? And not taking just things for granted, right? So, uh, because I often notice that people and companies start by asking all sorts of questions, but do it less and less over time, losing a very powerful skill to actually create the future. In fact, I came across some study where it said that the highest propensity to ask questions and be very inquisitive about yourself, sadly, you know, falls down after you're four or five, right? And uh, which is why very, it's even in the business world, Often the questions are formed in the form in the in the form of should we do X to move Y or you know are you too busy to take on this project which are very closed ended and judgmental type of questions. Rather than looking at that, we might want to look at what are the most important things given the goal Y, which which democratizes the input that you could get right because then it's not hey A B and C because then many people can give different kind of inputs here right. Uh, are you too busy to take on a project? Rather than that, you can say, hey, what are your priorities? How committed are you to doing X for that matter? Because they help you calibrate people, right? And uh, they help you basically guide their direction instead of managing their details. So I'm, I would definitely recommend these, this particular book and, of course, the other two mentioned as well. What about you, Constantine? Well, uh, it's... I was listening to this what you what you were saying, and interestingly enough, you know, one of the books that uh, I, I I've got a number of books that I think are absolutely fascinating. But one of the books uh, that I was thinking of when you were talking about is "The Road Less Stupid" by a guy called Keith Cunningham. And one of the big premises of this book is about asking better questions and and challenging things and and restructuring questions in a way to make you look from from different from different angles at, at things and challenge the status quo and uh, move organizations forward in in new ways and what you said about companies and organizations asking less and less questions you see that's uh, that's how comp- companies stop innovating yeah they don't ask the questions anymore so I think uh, being questioned and, and having a team around you that will challenge you and question you and and make you second guess yourself is actually really really healthy uh, as a manager as well. So 
Um, that that's one of the books I would definitely recommend, The Road Less Stupid. But you know, two other books that I that have had a huge impact on me and that I keep coming back to. One of them is Extreme Ownership by uh, Jocko Willink. Okay. It is quite militaristic. Um, however, it's a very interesting insight into how uh, high-end military organizations structure their um, their management and their ownership culture. And the other one is Trillion Dollar Coach by Eric Schmidt, uh, which it, it's it is probably the most insightful. It blew my mind when I read it. I don't know if you've even come across this book. Um, it's about a guy called Bill Campbell, who was the the management coach for basically, well, everyone in Silicon Valley at this point. Unfortunately, he's passed away. He also refused to write a book, um, which is why Eric Schmidt got together with a whole bunch of people that were coached by Bill Campbell and put together the, the lessons and their uh, memories of being coached by Bill together in, in this book. And I just, I found it incredible to see that, you know, there is this one person within Silicon Valley that helped organizations like Google, like Yahoo, like Facebook, like Airbnb, like Twitter, like, you know, and the list just continues with certain very interesting uh, approaches, very interesting challenges to their thinking. So that that was very interesting for me. And, and it is a book I keep, uh, keep coming back to myself. Now, t- talking, talking, of big, uh, talking of big lessons, um, you know, we've, we've all had leadership lessons at some point or another as, as managers, as business leaders. What, what's been the most important leadership lesson you've learned and how, how has it proven valuable to you? Hmm. Aside from the stuff you get in books, obviously. Exactly. I think, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, uh, so this is, this is one of those things, right, that, that you definitely can, you know, learn a bit or come across a bit, maybe across some books and whatnot, but it's, it's the real life experience that actually teaches you, right? And um, I, think, I think we all are living in a, in a world which is so incredibly, you know, changing, changing so fast, right? And one thing that I have noticed as basically the new reality of being a manager, right? is that your own individual outcome no longer matter compared to when you were an individual contributor, right? It's all about your team's outcomes. And when we are talking about your team's outcomes, there are two ways to improve it. There are training and then there's motivation. So again, when you're training someone to do something that they have never done before, the simple playbook is do it once for them, do it once together, and then have do it on their own have them do it on their own with their own feedback, right? Model it, teach it, then coach on an ongoing basis, right? I think, and, and in terms of the leadership lesson, right? Although the term sounds so, you know, so uh, uh, <laughs> fabulous, right? But the it's biggest it's mistake are stepping back too soon for, for fear of annoying the other person or staying too close to the work and not sharing why, right? And uh, stepping back too soon before someone is ready means that they will likely flounder, 
and you will have to swoop in and help, right? And this, this belated move tends to damage the person's self-esteem and reputation with others. Instead, if you start by staying close to the work and set that expectation up front, right, that, that basically, you know, helps a bit. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the, let's say, leadership or managerial lessons that I have come across. Um, another thing that I really want to highlight, right, it's, um, it's basically about, you know, so this is from the managerial standpoint. Um, but a while back, I came across a guy, I think, from Amazon, um, Eugene Wei, who elegantly coined the term um, invisible asymptote, right? Which is the ceiling your own growth hits if you continue down your current path, right? So whether you are an individual contributor, whether you are a manager, right? Whether you are managing a team of one, sorry, a team of two, team of five, whatever. The question that you need to continue asking yourself is, what's stopping you from growing even faster? There's not always one silver bullet, but this exercise forces you to seek the truth that inevitably catches up to you, right? I mean, even in terms of, let's, let's, let's you know, try to basically compare this in terms of, or put this in context of a company, right? So long before, for example, Amazon had to seriously worry about it. And they were surveying customers about why they were not ordering more on Amazon? The responses were unanimous. Shipping cost. That kicked off, you know, a multi multi-year effort of creating programs like, you know, super saver, uh, super saver shipping, which you know ultimately basically prime. So, I think I think the leadership lesson, right, or the overall lesson that I have came across, you know, which has proven incredibly invaluable. Um, a, as a manager, you need to, you know, you need to basically, uh, you know, model and teach and then coach on an ongoing basis the colleagues that you have, the team members that you have. But overall, as, as, as a person who is working in a, in, a, in a firm, I think another thing that you need to look into is that what is stopping you from growing even faster, which is a question, like I said, that can be, that can be put in the context of whether you're an individual contributor, whether you're a manager, or whether you are you know, uh, the head of or the lead of your own firm as such. So, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's something that I would definitely highlight, um, which is, again, something I would like to you know, ask you because, uh, you know, coming from, you know, so you basically lead a recruitment and headhunting fund, uh, firm. So I'm very curious, like, what kind of, let's say, you know, insight that you can share when it comes to some of the vital critical leadership lessons that you have learned and how they have proven invaluable to you. Well, going back to what we discussed earlier, books, I read, 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 read more, read more, keep reading, keep exploring, keep learning, keep listening. That that's a, that's a big one. You know, I, uh, I was always a big reader. However, you know, when you talk about uh, reading business books, reading uh, documentation from from companies, reading um, you know annual reviews from businesses, there is shortcuts in all of this. People have been through uh, through things that you are going through as a business. Reading what they have to say about this often proves to be a shortcut to to their experiences to their learnings from these you know why why make their mistakes if they're talking about these mistakes and telling you how to avoid them 
read the book, you avoid the mistake or you know what mistake to look out for. So that, that is a that is a big one. However, you know, the, the one that that's always been with me is is to care. You know, I, I, I know it sounds really simple, but caring for your people is a big part of being their their manager, their leader. There is there is a caveat to this though, because you know, as as one of my mentors once told me, you know, if you have a soft heart, you better have a hard ass. And and the lesson here is uh, not that you shouldn't care or that you should have a heart of stone, but it's uh, it's a caring for people needs to be done in a genuine way, but it can also often be mistaken for for weakness or misunderstood as you being disingenuous. Getting that balance right is is critical. So you need to know the difference and make sure it is also clear for uh, for those around you uh, what the difference is because how you see the world is not always how it will be seen by others. So care, but care in a way that you consider how it is also uh, perceived by others. Um, so that 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 was a big one, and it's always it's always stuck with me. The other one that uh, I always revert to uh, was again by another mentor, and that is you know it, it doesn't really matter what you what you say or or what you do. People will remain remember you by how you make them feel, and that is. That, that was one of the early lessons I, I had in my in my headhunting career, and it has never failed me. So take note of how you make people feel. So yeah, now um, you know, w- with with that in mind, you know, and sorry about my son kicking off in the background for anyone who can hear him there. Uh, it's uh, it's going out on a recording there, but. Uh, you know, it's it's the times we live in, and if we're recording, if we're recording from from home and in, in a lockdown, then that's that's I guess the way it's going to be. Another now, new uh, reality of our times, I would say. Another new reality of our times, but you know, we'll we'll make do with it. Yeah. Um, now, you know, th- there's also an ever ever going debate that almost every new grad and young professional faces, and this is um, this is especially in the beginning of careers. You know, should you join? A startup or a small business, or should you join a, a big business, a corporate, a consultancy? What is what's what's your take on this? I was a you know I I finished my university actually not so long back, right? Just like you know four years back, I switched. So uh, this question remains fresh in my mind, right? And again, that's mm-hmm. that's a topic that has popped up in across many conversations with some of the mentees and, uh, you know, some of the people seeking mentoring and basically, uh, you know, some of the colleagues. I think, let me, let me start with the fact, right, that choosing your environment is one of the highest return on investment ROI decision that you can make, right? The biggest slice of your life goes to work. And that's not just five out of seven days that we are talking here, because what happens during those five days affects how you feel the other two, right? And I think some may translate this startup versus big firm as maximizing learning versus money, right? But uh, if you if you really look into it, um, I often wonder why this must be either 
or or question, right? I mean, it does not, but it's a common trade-off. Because see, first, when you have a lot to learn in a role, you're typically underqualified, at least on paper, right? So this gets reflected in the pay you receive, right? Uh, size of the company is correlated with the ability to pay top dollar or euro. So startups really outcompete. Some big companies on money. The expected value of working in some you know big firm typically eclipses the startups, right? Given the you know on average a highly guaranteed salary and the likelihood of stock appreciation, etc. If you're given money, and if you're maximizing money, it's hard to beat you know big you know basically uh, firms. However, maximizing money early in your career can charge your lifetime earning potential. Money today is tied to a particular employer, whereas learning today can be taken down with you wherever you go. By learning, you're investing in your future self and growing your optionality. Right? And that's the point I really want to drive home. Because there is this fallacy that you learn more at maybe you know at a bigger company or at a startup, it's worth clarifying what are you seeking to learn in the first place. Do you want to learn to do or do you want to manage the stakeholders? Often, again, I mean, we are generalizing here, but startups are better for the former, right? That's learning to do. Big companies are really better for, say, managing stakeholders, etc. right? And uh, because if you really look at it, the equation of learning, right, is basically the number of available opportunities that you have, the attempts that you get to it, you know, that, that you can have at it, and then the overall feedback that you can have, right? And startup basically excel in doing because, you know, because of the few, you know, levers or few of the few reasons. Firstly, there are more opportunities than people to fill them. And more attempts per opportunity given the faster pace operating, right? Uh, so, for example, even in my current role, I mean, the... You know, so I basically built an entirely new product vertical from the scratch, uh, manage a small team as well. I had to, I was working in a really ambiguous environment and that particular product uh, product vertical for, for today, it's, it's netting, let's say, you know, pretty decent amount in, in incremental revenue, right? And that was an incredible, let's say, learning opportunity in itself because it touched a lot of topics at once, right? Now, one can say that the Perhaps the biggest downside of being at a startup is working extremely hard to building someone else's dream. But getting good at the craft, getting good at what you do, prepares you to start your own as well. So that's another way to look at it, right? Now, so I think I think that really highlights the importance of basically startup as well, or basically importance of learning to do, right? On the other hand, when it comes to big name or big brand, a common reason why people work for a big brand name or big firm, um, and money is not just the only factor, is because of the credibility it adds to their resume. Without credibility, it's hard to draw attention in a noisy world, right? The best way to bootstrap credibility is to borrow credibility by association. You can go to a well-known school, you work at a brand name company, you get sponsored by a respected, uh, say, person, or if you know if you if you have your own venture by a respected accelerator, right? Um, so again, here as well, right? The brand names become less important with every passing year in which 
you know, you have an opportunity to prove you're different from thousands of others, you, you know, who have done the same thing. But at the end of the day, I think the advice here, right, is basically what are your deal breakers and what are your thrillers, right? What is your appetite for structure and stability? What is your appetite for in, when it comes to what is your hunger for freedom looks like, right? Your tolerance for BS even, right? And uh, some of this might even emerge from being in the wrong places, right? But often I would say negative lessons are perhaps even more valuable than positive lessons because it is easier to avoid errors than creating brilliance. So, uh, I mean, again, I basically covered some of the points here, but I think at the end of the day, we, we really, you know, if, if you are a young grad, right? Uh, I would not really, you know, say that it's an either or question, but even before I look at a startup or big firm, I would look at what are you, what are you looking after, right? Or as you know, initial point that I mentioned in, in my own case, right? What are the keywords that you want to associate yourself with, right? What is the path? What is the big moat that you're planning for yourself as such? What is your structure for, you know, what is your appetite for structure and stability? Once you have that figured out, I think this particular decision-making becomes a lot easier. I, that is incredibly, incredibly right. There is, I mean, it really does also depend on what your what your personal goals are for for yourself in the, in, the, in the future, right? I mean, are you are you planning on working within a large corporation, or are you thinking of starting your own business? You know, if you are thinking of starting your own business, I would definitely recommend going and working for a small business first. To figure out, you know, is this really for me? Because a lot of people think that starting a business, you know, this this glamorous entrepreneurial lifestyle is is for them, and it's not. It's not for everyone. It's um, you know, people realize usually already when they're into it that actually this is not what I want. This is not the lifestyle. It's you know, it's taking up twenty two hours a day and eight days a week rather than seven. You know, it's it's uh, it's not what they envisioned for themselves. Then again, you know, choosing a, a corporate environment, you you did point out quite well that you will get um, different things out of a corporate environment. You will get better at stakeholder management, whereas working for a smaller company, you will have to actually do the work yourself, and you'll get better at doing the job. Um, there is, however. One thing that I was, you know, was really clear to me, you know, the, I went to the right schools, I had the right scholarships, that, that all really worked out. However, um, early on in my career, I was, I was told by people that, you know, you don't, like, you come out of school, you don't really know what you want, you don't know what you're doing, so... You know, make sure make sure you 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 choose the right company, and um, and I did that. I, I went to work for 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 a large NGO organization straight out of university. Unfortunately, what no one told me was that it's not about the money, it's not about the job title, it's none of that matters at all. What is important is choosing the boss that you're going to be working with. 
choosing the leader, choosing the person that will take you under their wing, that will coach you, that will give you time, that will engage with you, that will be a mentor to you. And unfortunately, you know, I, that, that was a big career setback because I, I didn't have a good mentor early on in my career. Um, I didn't have any good mentors that I was working with early on in my career. And if there's any piece of advice that I can give to someone coming out from, from school or, or looking to, you know, move their career forward, don't choose the money, don't choose the brand name, don't choose the job title. Choose the mentor, choose the people that you're going to be working with learning from and the people that will challenge you and drive you to become better and to explore new dimensions and, and new possibilities within yourself. It's, uh, it's so incredibly important. And if you get it right, it will, you're set for an outstanding career. If you get it wrong, it will set you back by years. Um, in terms of your career, in terms of your ability, in terms of what you can do um, effectively as a professional. So, you know, in terms of uh, moving forward, it's priceless. Priceless. Choose your mentor. Um, and, and on on that note, actually, has there been any you know any advice that you got, uh, advice that you would share with the listeners that has been particularly helpful to you, um, you know, through, throughout this time, you know, the coping with the real world, so to speak. Sure. Uh, first of all, you know, I, I think the point that you mentioned, right, uh, toward the end of your basically previous response, I think it's so vital. It's so much more useful, right? And I think, I think we both are aligned in a similar sense because, you either learn by experience or you can at least learn a bit by utilizing or leveraging someone else's experience, right? Which is what, what mentoring is all about, right? That, you know, if you, if you seek a right mentor, right, then, then it really catapults your career in a really, you know, strong way, in a really good way. And, um, but, Often when it comes to, you know, often I had to learn certain things by experience. And one of those things is basically about uh, understanding the intersection of strength and weaknesses. So, uh, and I, I think this is particularly vital when you're, when you're either in the early stage of career, but can be applicable in practically, fr frankly speaking, any stage of your career, right? Um, I think this question often pops up, you know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And we look at this question as such a black and white scenario, right? We think that, hey, I'm, I'm really strong when it comes to communication skills, but maybe I'm not great at, you know, working, I don't know, let's say maybe I'm not great at working, in, you know, in, in data analysis and so on. And that's how often people, you know, consider themselves. But I think, what you, what you really need to look at is that by crafting a unique concoction of useful skills, you enter a league of your own. And that's basically called developing a talent stack, right? 
So in the beginning of, for example, in, in, in the beginning of my own career, right, I was, I was known for communication skills, right? I developed the skills, well, during my own, let's say, entrepreneur experience and, um, and uh, became basically, um, so as to speak, expert or a decent sto- storyteller during my time, you know, during my brief stints, firstly at Banking World, etc. Nothing special, but my ability to weaving, you know, interesting data in a, in a clear, succinct manner gave me an edge, right? I also enjoyed, I have always enjoyed writing. And I used to craft it through some product requirements in the startups that I worked with, right? I mean, I was not particularly imaginative, but I made up for it by crystallizing problems and enabling others to dream up solutions, right? And after a while, I learned or realized, right, that I mostly I was mostly leaning on my strength when it comes to analysis, when it comes to writing, to basically bootstrap my start as a venture developer or strategy slash growth guy, right? But what I what I really looked at it, right, is that at the end of the day, um, if you take two paradoxical skills. I mean, they're not, you know, that basically two paradoxical skills, right? That definitely prepares you to stand ahead in terms of competition, stand ahead and also leverage your, you know, your own uh, different skills. And here's what I mean by think of storytelling and data analysis, right? Or maybe design instincts and business principles. Often you would find, and I, I think, you know, maybe you can relate with it, given that you're in the you know, recruitment business, in the headhunting business, you'd find, say, 100 great designers, right? Or maybe 100 people who are great at data analysis and maybe 100 people who are great at storytelling or communication skills, etc. But what about the people who are great at both storytelling and data analysis? That's the question that really, you know, that really basically drives the world. Because say if you are really strong in terms of communication and skills, but you upskill yourself in data analysis as well, then you push yourself ahead in terms of competition, ahead of your peers, and you are suddenly a lot more productive, a lot more impactful in whatever task that you're doing, right? And these these skills basically tend to be universally useful. So writing, design, the business principles, data analysis, coding, storytelling, right? Uh, again, the talent stack that you develop, I would say, should be informed by a few things. I mean, your interest and aptitude, your environment, what you already have in your stack, and what naturally compounds over time, right? Just like compounding interest, you want to invest in the skills that you, whose value compounds, you know, uh, basically when you are, well, Basically, in your sleep, writing publicly is a great example of this. Every year, your ideas are spread at a faster rate, right? But if you already spy on one of the pairs that I mentioned, say storytelling and coding, storytelling and data analysis, business principles and coding, right? If you already spy on them, pursuing the other half would pay a lot more dividends. And uh, I think... This is something that I have personally witnessed when it comes to, you know, hiring people as well, as well as in my own, you know, personal experience and peers experience. Right. And often I wonder why don't more people do this. Right. 
And I think that's might be because the concept of talent stack is a little less well known than it should be. And secondly, learning different skills is a little bit quite uncomfortable because it is often hard enough becoming good at one. Right? And thirdly, you probably self-identify with certain skills from an early age and it hurts to reinvent an image you have grown to like. Right? But all of those hurdles are surmountable. But at the end of the day, I think at the, you know it's it's not a zero sum game, and uh, that is the kind of advice that I would you know give to the young peers as well. Yeah. I know you've got some really good points there. I, I did hear this quote once that you know the difference about you from from year to year is very simple. It's the books you read and the people you meet. And by by people in my mind, it's also the mentors that that you meet that that you come across your path. And some stay with you for a long time. Others, it may be an exchange of a few minutes that changes the direction of of how you perceive things. And what you were saying about developing yourself, developing your skills, a lot of the time, mentors will ask you those uncomfortable questions that will force you to challenge your thinking about yourself, challenge your thinking about how great you are at something or how not great you are at something. You know, Maybe you're a great public speaker, but you just don't know it because you were never put in that position. You were never pushed by someone to do that. You were never coached by someone to do that. So I think it's really important to seek out mentors within uh, within your community, within your life that will be able to, to push you, to challenge you, and to ultimately help you grow. And that's, you know, that is something that I wish someone told me early on. I wish it is something that I had been accessing much earlier on in my career. But once I started doing that, the the conversations may have been uncomfortable and so they should be sometimes but they were definitely like holding up a mirror to my face and and making me see myself in a, in a slightly different light and in a slightly different slightly different way so with with that on that note of mentorship i i urge everyone out there to engage with mentors be it through the mentoring club or any other organization or through your network but get mentors, find mentors and read those books and engage with those books. And if you want to speak to Arshit or to myself, uh, then you can, of course, uh, with me, you can reach me via LinkedIn or you can reach me via the Mentoring Club. Arshit, how can people reach you best? Exactly. I mean, you can find me on the Mentoring Club or as well as on LinkedIn. My name is Arshit Pandey and happy to connect with you there as well. Perfect. Well, thank you everyone for for listening and for taking the time to uh, engage with our content. If you've got any questions, drop us a message. And uh, this is us over and out. Thanks a lot. Thank you.